Let's give it up for the one, the only, Pastor Taylor Murray. Love you, man. All right, all right. All right. Man. It is good to be, it's good to be, good to be home. This is home. And uh, how many of you, this is, you've been to at least two UD camps before? Okay, good amount, good amount. Uh, how many of you, you've been to like at least five? Anyone been to like five or more? Okay, the numbers are dwindling. How many of you have been to 10 or more somehow? Either you've been held back many years in, in school or you, uh, you are now a leader. I have been coming to... Undivided camp since before it was undivided, and I was, I was in seventh grade, going into eighth grade. Uh, our first camp that never even happened. We we had a camp uh, the year before uh, at my at the church that launched our church called Fishbait, and at Fishbait, the prize was you you got to, if you ate caviar that you got to sign the whale. That was the prize for winning. I got shot with BB guns. I got tied to, uh, I got duct taped to a tree. Um, this was not my ideal camp. The second camp, uh, which was our first as a church, uh, I was the only person who signed up. We, had, we were hoping for six. We got me, and so my youth pastor took me to Taco Bell, and that was our first camp ever. And I've been to every single camp since then. And um, there's something about the camp atmosphere, the camp environment that is just unique and special. I, I remember I was talking to a friend recently in another state, and I was telling him about our camp and how I was excited to come home and, and be at camp. And he's like, oh, you guys do an overnight camp? I said, yeah. He's like, why would you do that? And, and this is why we do it. So when you come into an environment where you have an extended period of time, where your environment's different than what you're used to, there's a higher likelihood that you see what you're not used to seeing. Part of the reason that we get you here, part of the reason that we get you to leave your phones at home, which some of you, you did, and there's reward in heaven for you. And some of you didn't, and I'm just mad at you for it. But part of the reason we don't want you on your phones is not because we're just angry people and we want to take out our anger on you, but it's because we know that there's something that happens when you get away into a unique environment where what you're used to seeing is not what you're seeing anymore. Every time in the Old Testament you'd see this with the prophets, you'd see it with Elijah, you'd see it with Moses is when God wanted to change the trajectory of the entire nation of his people, he would take the prophet, he'd take the person of God away so that they couldn't see what they normally see. This is why we have you here. And it is so significant that you're here. And I pray that over the next few minutes as we have our last night, that God would get you away if he hasn't already. That God would speak something to you that you didn't expect he would, but you leave marked and different. And I just believe that God wants to say something to some of you. And I want to ask that over the next few minutes that we, um, that we honor the environment, that we honor the presence of God, we honor the person of Jesus, and we honor his word by as much as possible 
I'm going to invite you to pause your need to urinate. I'm going to invite you to lean in, and I'm going to invite you to open your heart and your mind to receive from God. No, I, what I meant was to not get up. That was, that was my hint. So you, you didn't get the hint, Sean Kemp, but it's okay. Um, so over the next few minutes, let's lean in. You ready? You ready for what God wants to do? Hey, can I, can I give a huge shout out? To, to, first of all, I want to give a shout out to all of the youth leaders who are here taking time away. I want to give a shout out. I want to give a shout out to our production team, Matthew and Elizabeth and Maddie and everybody back there and Sabrina. I don't know who else. They're, they're the only three or four heads that I see, but uh, so many people sacrificing time and energy and money and you know, work and all of the, the things to make uh, this environment an incredible environment so that you can encounter God. And uh, I want to give an honor, a special honor, uh, our, our lead pastors who really set the groundwork for us to have camp every year and it be a pivotal part of our culture and uh, a pivotal part of our church. And you and I would not be here if it was not for lead pastors who believed in the next generation and lead pastors who did whatever it took to protect this kind of thing. And so can we give a huge, huge, big hand, big uh, honor, where honor is due, to Pastor Steve. I know Pastor Tina's not here, but can we give it up for Pastor Steve and thank him for laying the groundwork for us to continue. And uh, obviously he was here on the first night. And people were asking me, so what are you going to do? Are you going to swing from the rafters? And God did not wire me in such a way to have bizarre ideas where I know how to do crazy things like that that make you wonder, is he going to literally pull the roof down or is he going to break the rope and fall and break his back? I don't have that gift. Pastor Steve has that gift of the object lessons. And so um, a couple other, I want to honor, honor Noel for that word this morning. How many of you were blessed and encouraged by, oh my gosh. That was so, just so good. And um, how many of you think she should preach more? There it is. There it is. And um, okay, a couple more. How many of you have just been blessed by all of the messages from all the different leaders this week? Can you we thank them? Quentin and Naharika and Shaddai, Pastor Steve, who am I missing? Did I? Emma. Emma, oh, Emma and Emma Lee. Did you guys do that? Emma Lee and Emma? Emma and Emma Lee? I, did, I just thought of that. Emma, Emma Lee. And, um, hey, a couple more, huh? I said that. You weren't paying attention. I'm testing you. I said Quentin. Quentin, you heard me say your name, didn't you? Where are you at? You, yeah, you heard me say your name, right? I didn't forget you. I would never forget you, bro. I love you. Um, hey, can we give a huge, huge shout out to Gabe and the entire worship team. Gabe leading the way. Insane job, dude. Insane job this week. And uh, every night, but really especially last night and even tonight, just the presence of God. And the presence of God tends to work through people. And so I love that Gabe and our entire worship team and everybody involved have just been open and willing vessels for God to move through them. And uh, man, we're so thankful for that tonight, dude. So way to be. And lastly, I want to, I'm going to forget some people, but I want to say thank you and just honor, um, honor Malachi and Talyn as they have been leading this youth ministry. 
over the last year. There they are. And honestly, Talin and Malachi, um, what I love about Talin and Malachi is that they've been, uh, they, before they were ever on our team as a staff, they were on our team as volunteers and just leading and loving young people. And I just love to be in this place and be reminded that though the, the, the person sitting in the seat, that used to be me, I got too old, but the person in the, the, the people sitting in seats shifts, but the same God is moving. And I'm just proud of you guys. You guys are doing an incredible job. I just think that this year is going to be insane. And so let's go. Let's get ready. You ready for a great year? You're not. You're not ready, but you will be after tonight. Hey, um... Are you ready for a great year? You did a little bit better. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. Um, I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. And how many of you know what the theme of this camp is? What is it? Living proof. And I think there's a lot of different angles that we could approach this idea of living proof. But at the core of this is this reality and this understanding that you and I, as we live out life by the Spirit of God, that we become the living proof that there is a living God on the earth. And in fact, what Jesus did when he ascended to heaven, after he had died, he'd risen again, he showed back up to the disciples, he's like, guess what, guys? I'm taking off and I'm not coming back for a while. But I am going to send you a helper and he's going to teach you all these things and he's going to remind you of the things that I've said to you. He's going to empower you. And so what this means is that you and I, as we welcome the Spirit of God into our lives, that we become the living proof that God is real, that Jesus not only came to the earth by, by a virgin, but he lived a sinless life, that he died on a cross, and on the third day he rose again. And you and I, when we are empowered by the Spirit, become the living, active proof that that was true. Are you with me so far? Your job on this earth, beyond your paycheck, beyond your future, parenting of your kids, owning of your career, mowing of your lawn, your job on the earth is to be a living letter, a living proof to the world that there is a God who loved them so much that he sent Jesus to die and he would rise again so that every person who would believe in him would have eternal life. Your job is that. Now, it's easy to get things conflated and, and trying to hedge the statement and add context to it, but at the end of the day, your life is to prove to the world that God is real. Your life exists to prove to the world that not only is God real, but he's loving and he's got a plan and a purpose for every person on this earth. So you and I are the living proof. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're the living proof. So 1 Peter... Chapter 4, and I'll start in verse 7. And if you don't have your Bibles, I think we'll have it on the screen. And I want to encourage you with something, especially on, on Wednesdays, but also on Sundays. I want to encourage you to bring a physical Bible and a physical journal. Now, this is just a habit that I've cultivated for a long time, and I'm so glad for it. 
And some of you might be like, I'm not a note taker. That's great. I know someone who draws pictures from the points. I'm like, do that. Like, that's how they, that's how they process it. I know people who are like, I'm going to write that one thing that I can marinate on, and I'm, I'm going to date it so I can go back to it and remember. But all, all things considered, write, write stuff down, because I can't tell you how many times I'm driving. Literally, I'll be driving. I feel like God speaks something to me, or I'm, I'm worshiping, I've got music on, and I feel like I got a little nugget. And I'm like, I got to remember that later. You ever had that happen? Where you're, or or you, you, you had something that you forgot, and then you remembered that you'd forgotten it, and you remembered it again. But you're like, I got to not forget that again. And then you forget it because you didn't write it down. Best thing you can do is write it down. Anyways, I'm not here to preach about taking notes about preaching. I'm just here to preach. So, write stuff down. First Peter 4 and verse 7. The end of all things is near. Now that is ominous, is it not? The end of all things is near. Be encouraged. The world's falling apart. Therefore, so in other words, in light of the end of all things being near, being present right here, be alert and of sober mind. Why? So that you may pray. And above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. When you speak, do it as one who speaks the very words of God. If, it, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now I want you to skip ahead one chapter to chapter 5. And we're going to read one verse in verse 8. So keep in mind, the end of all things is near. Be sober and alert. Be alert and of sober mind. Be alert and of sober mind. So verse 8, it says this. Be alert and of sober mind. So he's using this language. He's repeating it. He actually says it another time earlier in the book. So this would be what you would call a theme. You see this repeated. There's something about Peter's ministry. What he would say is things like, I want, I'm writing this to stir you up by way of reminder. P Peter was really interested in getting things through the church's thick skull. Why? Because Peter himself had a thick skull. Peter took a while. He's the guy who cut Jesus's, or, or not Jesus's ear off. <laughs> Jesus, that would have been funny. He was the guy who cut the, 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 the Roman guard. He cut his ear off and Jesus takes it. It's like, that's not how we roll. It puts it back on. You know what I'm talking about? Peter's the one who, who, even though Jesus predicted it and gave him an out, he still, by the time the rooster crowed, had denied Jesus three times. So G Peter, I, I can only imagine, is writing these letters partly because he understands himself to be the kind of person who it's really tough to get things through your skull. So what is he doing? He's reminding us throughout this letter, hey, be sober. Be alert. Here's what it says. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings, pressure. You ever felt alone in your weakness or your pressure, your struggle sorry to break it to you you aren't the first person to deal with stuff 
That's both discouraging and encouraging. It's discouraging because I realize I'm not the center of the world. It's encouraging because I know that God has been working on behalf and through and around and in spite of imperfect, broken, painful people throughout the history of the world. And if he was, then he's going to be faithful to me too. I want to speak on this idea for the next few minutes. The war for your awareness. If you're taking notes, you can title this The War for Your Awareness. I thought about titling it You Can't Be Living Proof When You're Dead. But I just thought that was kind of harsh. And I, I just don't know if it even made sense. So, the war for your awareness. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? And I want to invite you over the next few minutes to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And I believe that he's going to speak to you tonight and leave you a little bit different than when you came. So, Holy Spirit, we give you, we give you the center seat in this place. We just acknowledge in this moment your presence God, that you're here and you're moving in our midst. The living God, what a privilege it is, God. And I pray, God, even in this moment, that people who are resisting you, God, anyone with a rebellious spirit that chalks it up to spirituality, but in their heart is distant from you and is resistant to you, would you rush in and knock down the wall? Because you are not interested in being separate from your people. Lord, would you leave us marked, leave us different, leave us built up, leave us with a charge to go forward. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Yes. Okay. Awesome. You ever been, how many of you have ever been to like homecoming or prom or Tolo? Anyone been to Tolo? Anyone, anyone not been to a, uh, uh, you ever been on a date? Who's never been on a date? I just need to look around for a second. I'm just. Um, I, uh, I remember, like, the, the, I remember there, there's this thing, I went to Bible college, okay? Went to Bible college, and, and of course, in college, you don't have prom, um, but in Bible college, it's especially unique because, especially at the time that I went to Bible college, they, like, didn't even believe in dancing. Like, dancing was, was the kind of thing that you're just not supposed to do. And so we would have this thing at the end of the year called the end of the year banquet. And banquet was basically a college Christian Bible, like a Christian Bible college prom without dancing. And it was an excuse to dress up. And um, long story short, some of you know mine and Noelle's story. Um, some of you don't, but I'm not going to tell the whole story today. But long story short, we, she and I had dated. We broke up. I broke up with her, broke her heart, and it was really devastating for her. And so what had happened was the story she told this morning, God spoke to her to follow me to Portland. And so she and I both went, my, me first, and then she followed me um, because <laughs> I hate all of why, what, what, what do you guys have against me? Come on. Okay, maybe I exaggerated a little bit, but essentially we both went to Bible college at the same time, but separate. We weren't together, we weren't dating, we weren't anything like that. But the entire year, it had been really difficult for me as, as somebody who was, um, we had dated, we broke up, and long story short, I, I was like, I was back on the, the Noel train. Like, I, I could not shake it, right? 
And it was honestly, I've told this story before, but it was honestly, it was something that God really had to just weed out of my life. Not the thought of her, but it was an idol in my life, honestly. And God really shed that uh, towards the end of the year. And I remember getting to this place, it was really a couple weeks before this banquet, where God had just, uh, through prayer and through time and through more and more prayer and just struggle, it, it just broke off of my life. And it was no longer a, an idol for me. I remember I just, like, there was this release in my spirit. And so, fast forward, I, I invite this girl, not named Noelle, to go to banquet with me. Her name was Catherine, and I accidentally invited her via text message. It's another story for another day. I didn't mean to invite her, but then I sent the text, and so I just had to go with it. So Noel and I are not together. I'm going with Catherine. And my sights, like I said, had been on her the whole year. And I'd, I'd moved on. And I'm there at the banquet. And, and a week before, there's this guy who was super interested in Noel. And he, like, pulled out all of the stops to invite her to banquet with him. She wrote a, he wrote a song for her. And I'm just going to be honest with you right now. I've never written a song for Noel. I've not done it. And in fact, I, I think if I did it, she might consider not being with me anymore. It's not, that's just not how we roll. I'm not about to write a song for her. And so this guy, call him Travis, he write, writes this song and invites her to banquet. And it's like this whole thing. It's all over the campus. Wow, Travis. What a cool dude. What a nice guy. He just asked Noel to banquet by writing a song that he sang in front of everyone. And I'm like, forget this dude. <laughs> right? So in that process, God breaks off this, I, like, it's this whole kind of cluster. And I, I get to banquet. And I remember my sights weren't, like, I, I hadn't even thought of Noel. I hadn't thought of her at all. I'm there with Catherine. We're having a good time. We're with our group. Having a good time. We're just hanging out. And then I remember something that happened. And the room is probably about four times the size of this. There's hundreds of people, tables every. It's a full-on banquet. And I remember I'm probably on this side, and the doors are all the way on the opposite side. And somehow, out of the back of my head, I sensed Noel walk into the door, and something changed. At banquet, right? And I'm like, I'm there with Catherine. And suddenly, I forgot who she was. I didn't think. I'm, I'm like, I was, there was not, I'm, I'm not kidding you right now. There was not a second the rest of that evening where I was not fully aware and cognizant of where Noel was. And the whole time, I'm just like pretending like, you know, sheer banquet, I'm cool. But in the back of my mind, I'm fully, something had happened because she, she came into the room and my awareness had been captured. My awareness had been awakened. You ever had that happen? Where you're in a room and, and a celebrity comes in or your crush comes in or somebody that you don't want to see comes in and all of a sudden you're no longer aware of anything else happening in the room because your eyes even if they might be closed or turned in another direction, you know exactly where that person is. Peter says, the end is near. 
So what? Be alert and be of sober mind. That word, it's two words here, alert and of sober mind. He uses two different words in these two occasions, both similar, and it means this. To give strict, like strict attention to something. To be in a continual state of awareness. And it's funny because I was fine. I was just kind of on my normal operation until the moment that Noel came into the room. And the moment that Noel came into the room, I suddenly become, became infinitely aware of her and unaware of everything else. Like I'm talking about, and like let's talk about my outfit. I was wearing a deep red button-up long-sleeve shirt with a skinny tie. Black slacks and Aldo shoes with no laces. I looked like trash, I'm telling you. And I'm not here to say that I look like, that I'm like some super fashionisto, but I'm telling you, I looked like an absolute absurd idiot in this place. And what's worse is this girl, Catherine, if she had any interest, which maybe she was trolling me, she's the one who picked out the outfit. But I'm like walking by Noel and I'm like sucking in my stomach, you know, which I need to start doing again. That's a different story. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm fully, why, why, why was I changing? Because something had happened when I became aware of the person who walked into the room. When you become aware of God, you can't unsee him. When you become truly aware of God, you can't just easily forget about it. Because God doesn't make small impressions. God's not like some tippy-toe weirdo who like hides in the corner and sees if you can peep him. No, 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 no. that's not how it goes. It's not that way. God makes an impression when you encounter God in a real way. You don't unsee it. You might spend some time and walk away and eventually you clutter your life in such a way that you stop noticing and remembering anymore, but it's still there. You cannot unsee God when he shows up into the room. And I believe that for you and I, God has an invitation to us tonight. And that invitation is simply this, become aware. It's to become aware. But the truth is, that even as God's invitation is for us to become aware of his presence, become aware of Jesus, become aware of his goodness, of his mercy, of his, of his word, of his voice, as much as God is inviting us to become aware and cognizant and mindful of him, every time that the Lord invites you into something, there is an equal and opposite invitation from the enemy. And this is what we forget. Is that as much as God wants to show up, the enemy knows that God wants to show up and knows that the power that God has is so great that he's going to do things to try and distract you from seeing what you're supposed to see. Like God actually loves you, but the enemy hates you. God has a plan for your life. Satan has a plan for you. We don't talk about that, right? Did you know that the devil who is real... He hates your soul, and he wants you to spend eternity without God. 
So what does he do? He's doing everything in his power. Like Noel taught, I love that Noel's message teed this up. The enemy wants worship, but if he can't get worship, he'll just try and distract you from worshiping the one who is worthy of it. So because anything that is not worshiping God is essentially and effectively worshiping the devil. It's true. So what is he trying to do? He's just trying to distract you. There's not a lot of people that you'll meet, though it is upticking right now in 2023, where there are real Satanists. There are Satanists all over the place that don't even know that they're worshiping Satan. Because where their loyalty is reveals what they worship. So you've got God giving you an invitation tonight, whether you're in seventh grade. It is not too early. I was in seventh grade at Fish Bait in 1990-something where God spoke to me. You are not too young for God to change the trajectory of your life. You got eight-year-olds in scripture who became king. You are not too young. You got 12-year-olds who heard the literal voice of God and changed the trajectory of a nation. You are not too young. But as much as God has an invitation, he invites you to worship worship him. The enemy invites you to focus on you, thus making you God, thus making the devil God. He invites you to surrender, but the enemy invites you to surrender to yourself. So whatever you feel becomes God. And you're chasing, rather than pleasing God, whatever you can do to relieve the pressure that you feel in your life. And it becomes this thing where you're chasing comfort, revealing your God. God invites you to trust, but the enemy invites you to fear. This is a challenge. Raise your hand if you've ever struggled with fear or anxiety at any level. Right? Now, here's what I'm not saying, is that you're evil because of it. Here's what I am saying, is that fear is trying to get your loyalty. So what is God's invitation? Trust when you fear. Believe when you doubt. Move forward when you're not sure where you're going. So what does God do? He's inviting you, and so is the enemy. He's inviting you to lay down your idols. The enemy invites you to become one. He's inviting you to lay down what you believe about culture and current moments and things that we're seeing play out in the world. And Jesus is inviting you to say, I reject what most people believe to be true. And I vehemently reject it and choose to follow God's way. That's God's invitation, but the enemy is inviting you to say, no, why would a loving God cause you to go against the grain? Because whenever God invites you, so does the enemy. Did God really say? God invites you to end the habit. The enemy invites you to rationalize your sin. God invites you to repent. The enemy invites you to hide God invites you to lay down the whole of your life. The enemy invites you to run and protect your comfort. God invites you to stay in worship, and the enemy invites you to go pee again for the 19th time. What is it? He's really afraid of what will happen when you truly get an encounter with the living God. So anytime the Lord invites you, the devil will have an equal and opposite invitation. God invites you to become aware. The enemy invites you to become ignorant. Ignorant of the things of God and aware of the ways of the world. Unaware that they are the ways of the world. And what we see today is we see this thing called syncretism. And syncretism 
Because I would imagine many, if not most, if not even all of us by night four of camp would all raise our hand and say, I believe that Jesus is God. I believe in him. I put my faith in him. But you know what we've done? We've merged that truth with it existing within our comfort bubble. We've merged that truth and the fact that the word of God is alive and active and is what we build our lives on. But we've said, but when it comes to this topic, this issue, this cultural ideal, I am going to put that above God or I'm going to merge them together and whichever idea I like best wins. This is what's called syncretism. And it's the merging of two ideologies as if they can coexist. Friends, God does not share a throne. Jesus does not share a throne. Does he love? Yes. But is he holy? 100%. Did you know that God's word talks about love a lot? It talks about his holiness a ton more. It's not to diminish God's love, it's to provide context for his love. Because God's love cannot exist when it is not holy. Because what the culture and the world defines as love is actually a conflated, perverted, prostituted love that props itself up as something that can deliver when only God's agape, true, sacrificial, holy love is what can deliver that. And we've replaced love with lust, we've replaced God's love and his holiness with our ideas of what it is supposed to look like, but not realizing we are so short-sighted. Why? Because there's a way that seems right to you and I as human beings, but in the end, you know what it leads to? Death! And we've got generations right now in high schools, in middle schools, in college, and beyond that are going to hell right here on earth because their ideologies have said, I can worship God with my hands, but my heart can be divided. And God is saying, I'm not interested that you'd go to death. I want you to be alive. Why does he call you to be holy? Why does he call you to sacrifice your whole life? Why does he call you to pick up your cross and carry it? That's hard. Because he knows it's the only way that leads to life. And the enemy, as much as God is calling you to become aware, he's calling you also to become ignorant of the things of God. And here's the truth. What comes out of you is living proof of the God that you worship. Some of us say Jesus is number one, but our loyalty is our current mood. Like what I feel when I wake up becomes, like we don't realize how divided our worship becomes so easily. How fickle are we, right? Like you ever had a moment of clarity where you can see and you just feel the presence of God? You feel like life's working and you can just, wow, I got a straight shot. And then it's like the next day you wake up and you cannot see a foot in front of you. You ever felt that? You ever felt like you've got victory in areas of your life that you hadn't for a long time? And then 
the day turns, something happens, and it knocks you off course. Man, so frustrating, right? What happens is what comes out of our lives reveals where we've still got idol worship. One of the things that you see, a pattern in the Old Testament, you'd see these kings chronicled all throughout the Old Testament, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, the judges, and one of the things that it would say is it would assess these characters. It would say about some, they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. It would say that some did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. But there were some that it would say this. This king did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but they did not remove the high places. So as much as they crushed the idols, they kept the environment where the idols thrived. And what it would do is it would invite that pattern to return. Because when things stop going well, what do I return to? That vice. Go back to that place that made me feel what I felt and I want to feel it again. Whenever the enemy sees that God is inviting you into something, he invites you the same. God's invitation to you and I tonight, wake up, become aware. Let your life become an altar to the one true God. Tear down the high places. Tear down the idols. Some of you, if you're like me, there would be things that you would hold on to. And you would do, I mean, you would repeat this pattern, right? Year after year at camp or week after week at Undivided or at church or in a conversation, you'd do these things and you'd, you'd get rid of it. But there was that one thing that you held on to. You justified it. And this thing became something that you knew, I'm not ready to make it so that I can never return to that thing again. And I hope that I don't, but I want to have the option. Like, I want to serve God, but I really don't want to have to adjust my external circumstances and my certain, my environments and the things that are coming into my life. So please don't ask me to adjust my phone habits. I'll follow God, but it's got to be convenient. I'll follow God's way, but please don't ask me to alter my life, to change my perspective, to change the way that I treat others, to tr change the way that I see my home. Don't ask me to do those things. God's way is meant to fit within mine. Syncretism. God's truth is meant to come under mine. Why? Just admit it. You are God and he is not. He exists to serve you. And as long as God exists to serve you, you do not know God. I'm not trying to be heavy tonight. Perhaps I am. But friends, I'm not trying to pretend that the world that we live in is going to go back to normal either. Because it's not. Friends, what did Peter know 2,000-ish years ago? The end of all things is near. 
Why does that matter? Because you gotta sober up. You gotta sober up, you gotta be aware. Other translations say be sober and be vigilant. Your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone he can devour. He hates you. He hates your guts. And he wants you to burn and bring as many down with you as you can. He's got a plan for your life. So why is this good news? Because if the enemy has got a plan for your life, if he's been knocking at your door, it's proof that whether you can hear it or not, God has been knocking too. And friends, for some of you, God has been knocking for a long time. Let this be your once and for all reminder. He loves you. He's got a plan for your life. He's been working on you. And though things have happened around you, they have not taken you out. Why? Because God is still working on your behalf. He's got a plan for your life. So what do we do? How do we, what's the proof that my loyalty is right? What do I do? And I don't even know if I want to share my points. I just want you to give the whole of your life to God. Can I just like end it there? Can we invite the band to come forward? I'll give you my points just because. Number one, in your awareness, pray. And here's the deal. I would venture to say that most of us, at least to a glimpse tonight, have become made, we've been made aware of God's presence. But the key is that when we become aware of God's presence, that we don't relate to God the same way that before we knew his presence. That we don't treat as common something that is uncommon. In your awareness, pray. Here's what it says. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind. Why? So that you may pray. God's knock at your door is an invitation to a life of prayer. Now, this is something that for, um, really for a long time in my life, and even I'll be honest, I'm not a person who's bent towards longevity in prayer. But I really believe that God is, this is something that God has been waking me up to more and more. Is that God wants a relationship with you. And this is cliche because most of you know this. But if I look at it statistically and if I look at it at the outputs that I'm seeing in the world... Most people who say that they know that God wants a relationship with them and would say that they believe in God don't actually have an active prayer relationship with God. And it shows. What's the point of prayer? That God would become your best friend. That God would not be the ugly duckling in the corner that you pretend to love when you're alone, but when you're with your friend, like, He can't be this person that just gets to, when you need him, I'm going to invite him into the, when when I feel, no, 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 it's got to be this thing that we start to step into where there's a daily relationship with God. I mean, it's so simple, right? But God actually wants a communion and a relationship with you.
so does the devil. It was just as much as God is inviting you into a place of prayer. So is the enemy. But he's inverting it. He's inviting you into a place of distraction, place of too much busyness, place of success where you're trying to succeed, where you think that the way that you prove yourself to your mom and your dad and to God and to your friends is by succeeding in something. Or if you can't succeed, you'll push as many people down as you can. You're always sarcastic. You're always rude. You're disrespectful. I mean, let's be honest. We've had several people who've left this camp this week because of their disrespect. And what God is inviting you and I into is to this place of relationship and intimacy. And I know that this is perhaps a mature subject that once you get to like age 70 that you're like this person who's got this level with God that is like untouchable. But you know what? I just believe that there's some people in here tonight that at 13 and at 15, you're gonna become captivated by God. And you know what? I can't even do that for you. Your youth leader cannot do that for you. The worship environment cannot do that. I mean, that can be a catalyst. But friends, there's nothing that can replace that place of intimacy with God. Those words that we sang tonight, day and night, night and day, God, let incense arise to you. Let, let, let my prayer, let my worship, let it be like the, the, an evening sacrifice. Let it be pre pleasing to you. When you sense it, God, let it draw you in. And this is God's invitation to you and I tonight to go to a place of intimacy with God. Why? Because the days are evil. The world is broken. There are a lot of inputs, friends. I mean, I, I went through high school. It wasn't that long ago. But the world that I was in was different. You are in a unique spot. And I'm, I'm not trying to puff your heads up. I'm trying to say, there's probably not been a time in the world where it has been more difficult to focus on one thing than right now. The amount of apps and information and pornography that you have at your fingertips within seconds is something that 100 years ago the greatest minds could have not ever imagined or predicted that that would be true. The amount of access that you have to things that will draw you to places where you're not meant to go. But see, just as much as your phone, TikTok, like, can I rail on TikTok again? Because I'm just, I'm 38. Just delete it and run. Better to gain the world, sorry, better to lose the world and keep your soul. Like, I got a lot of people who are like, well, you know, <laughs> I don't want to gain the world and lose my soul. I don't know, I don't want to know the trends and have an empty soul. Like, I don't care. And you know what? Neither does heaven or hell. They don't care if you know how to use 
the slang or you know the video or you know the thing and it keeps you relevant. What good is relevance when you're powerless? The world does not need more relevant people. They need people who are empowered through prayer and through worship by the spirit of the living God that when they go to places, it doesn't matter. I'm on fire. Come watch me burn. We don't need people who know the stuff. You don't even know God. Friend, God's inviting you to a place where you can know him. And when you know him, everything else changes. In your awareness, pray. Number two, in your awareness, love others deeply. Frick, man, this one's hard. Especially today. Because because of syncretism, the world has redefined what it means to love. So many of us have been sucked into this place where that we think that we're loving and in fact we are actually hating. We're leading people astray. How can the blind lead the blind? Above all, love each other deeply. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins and I'll paraphrase how. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Use your gifts to serve others and in doing so become a dispenser of God's grace. Whenever you open your mouth, do so as one who speaks God's word. If you serve, do it in your own, not in your own strength, but in God's strength so that God gets all the glory. Above all, love each other deeply. But what we're seeing today is an inversion. As we love shallow and we're immersed in the world deeply. So when something tests my love, I realize that it's shallow. I don't have any depth to it. It says, above all, love each other deeply. God's called to you and I, and I believe that it actually begins in prayer, is to become so aware of God's presence that it becomes harder and harder for us to contradict it. It would be like being in the room of somebody that you're impressed by. Anyone ever been like in the room with someone who's like a celebrity or someone who you admire a lot? And we'll just be honest, I, I've, I've been, not many, but a few of those kind of places where even it's, it's like a pastor who I'm like, this guy's like, he's, he's the dude. And I'll be there and I'm like, I am fully, perhaps to a performance le- level, God's working on me, okay? But I'm like fully aware of them. Why? Because I don't want to do anything to contradict how they show up into the room. When you understand that God's presence goes wherever you go, and when you have an intimacy with him, it becomes harder and harder to live in a way that would dishonor him. And so many of us, we dishonor God with every interaction that we have. We're dishonoring to others. We're lazy. 
We don't help anybody. We won't help. Like, let's talk about that. Where's, what happened to serving others? We walk over trash. We treat people like trash. And then we wonder why the world's going to trash. Because we're not living in a way that would demonstrate that we've been impacted by the love of God. Which might reveal to you and I that we don't even really know the love of God. Because if we did, then it would impact how we live. Above all, love each other deeply. Love covers a multitude of sins. Some of you, I mean, the thing that you need to do is like go home tomorrow and do your laundry and give your mom a hug. But do it in, the, in your mind. This is the new me. I serve. And it's just laundry. But all things are spiritual. It's just my room. But it's fascinating how the discipline in your room shapes discipline in your interactions at your school. And discipline in those areas starts discipline when you go to bed, discipline when you get up, discipline in what you listen to, discipline with what you put before your eyes. We would say, oh, it's just a little, no, 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 no. When you start with one thing, with the desire from a place of intimacy to honor God, it starts to spill into other areas of your life. In your awareness, love deeply. And number three, in your awareness, resist the world. It says this, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, he's real prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith. Why? Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. How do we resist? I think it begins even now by breaking up. And uh, Noelle and I, went, we went to banquet, not together. I was aware of her the whole time, pretended like I wasn't. Left that. And like I said, God had kind of, it's, it's such a paradox because now looking back, I can see how God was orchestrating it. But I'm like, I'm aware of her, but my heart wasn't like, God had released something in my heart where it was no longer an idol, like I said. And I remember going from there and nothing came of it. And uh, I would find out later that Noel would go on another excursion with this guy, call him Travis. That was his real name. Um, he's a good guy. Um, and they went to Starbucks. And he was getting ready to confess his love. That's that was the way I see it, but... What happened is there was a break. It was cut off. Because someone had asked her, just probably, was it hours before? The day or so before? When Melissa asked you? Or no, uh, it was uh, Lacey. Yeah, Lacey. God bless Lacey. And uh, 
Lacey's like, well, do you think you can spend the rest of your life without Taylor? She's like, who would want to do that? Okay, she didn't say that. But in that moment, it was an epiphany. She's like, no, I don't, I don't think I want it. Something clicked. Relationship ends. It reminds me the song that David would sing. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. And I'm not going to equate me and Noel to like David and the Holy Spirit. But something happens when you realize, I don't want to spend my life without God. It's too much death, too much pain, too much loss, too much hurt, too much disaster, too much discouragement. Too many inputs. I cannot do this thing without God. And there's something that happens when you realize, I would rather live a broken life with God than try and manage this thing on my own without Him. But how do you do that? It's got to begin with a breakup. And some of us, we've begun a moment or a relationship with God, but we have yet to end our relationship with the world. And so we've got these competing loyalties all the time. And we're wondering, why are we so anxious? It's because we're not loyal. We don't know who our God is. I'll tell you who your God is. It's you. Because if it's not everything for God, it's nothing. God does not want 90% of your life. He wants the whole of it. And you know what? He proved it by sending his son, Jesus, to live a sinless life. That he would go throughout doing good and bringing healing. And yet he would die a sinner's death. But on the third day would rise from the grave. So that you and I can know once and for all. That we can give our lives in following the same pattern. And find life and life more abundantly. But it only comes when you'll surrender the whole of your life. God is done getting leftovers. Some of us have been giving leftovers to God for years and if we're honest we love God we, I mean I love God I think I, and, I, and I might even have the right beliefs and I might even be sincere but God is saying partial obedience is not obedience want the whole of your life why because he's a jealous God some of you have been addicted some of you have been stealing some of you have been dishonest some of you have been hypocritical Some of you have been addicted to certain substances or images or movies or apps or relationships. Some of you have been lazy. Some of you have been wooed over by secular ideologies. Even when I talked about syncretism, you know that that's you and it's time tonight to repent. It's not because God's mad at you. It's because God wants you. 
It's not because God has a heavy hand on you. It's because he's got a hand on you and he wants to empower you to go throughout this life and live by the spirit and love others and serve others and know him intimately and see the world that we're living in, though it is broken, be redeemed by the goodness and the presence of God. Some of us, it's just literally time and I, I know this is so boomer of me, but shut off your freaking phone and get on your knees. And if you gotta keep going back to it, and I get it, how easy is it? You become so aware of everything that everybody else is doing. And because we're so aware of what everyone else is doing, we cannot see what God is doing. So then we see bad news. And because we don't know how God works, because we don't have the intimacy and don't know the character of God and how he's worked throughout the ages through troubling times, we see what's happening in Hawaii and we think that means that it's an absence of God. We see what's happening in, in the Middle East and we see, oh, that's the absence of God. No, 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 friends. If you know anything about God, his power is exploding in those places. You look at the places where terrorism is running rampant and the church is running rampant too. There's a story I heard recently of a, of a Muslim country where Christianity was exploding in this little town. It was exploding particularly in young people. And there were these three 12-year-olds, two of them siblings and a friend. And they were preaching the gospel everywhere they went. And the leaders of this town were worried that they were going to flip it upside down. So what did they do? They captured the 12-year-olds. They cut off their heads. And they put them on the doorposts of the church to say that this is what will happen to you if you preach the gospel. That church exploded. There were thousands who gave their hearts to God as a result of that. When you don't understand, when you... When you think about things through a worldly lens, you look at that as a loss. Why did God allow? No, 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 no. God knows the end from the beginning and he's working all things to his end. So when I know that about God, I can say this is loss right now, but it is gain in eternity. It is difficult right now, but it's producing something in me that God wants to use to bring about his kingdom and his glory on this earth. Therefore, when I receive pressure, when I receive a knock from the enemy, I assume that it is God on the other end of the door also inviting me into experiencing his presence and life by the Spirit. And even though I feel broken right now, I know that God is working on my behalf. So what do we do? We break up with the world. We say, God, you're my king, I'm your servant, and my life is yours. The only way you do this is empowered by the Spirit. Here's what I want you to do. Would you close your eyes? We're gonna pray and we're gonna worship for a few minutes. And um, I think there's some people in here who, for being honest, we've been living unaware. And this camp has been a perhaps even a soft invitation for you to be to become aware. 
Maybe you've been cluttered by the things of this world, things that are going on, pressures that are around you, things that are happening outside of you. You've been living unaware. Tonight, I want to pray for you. That you become aware, so aware of God's presence that it becomes harder and harder to run from it. Jonah in the Old Testament, he's a prophet of God. God calls him to preach to Nineveh. And otherwise, the town is going to be destroyed. And he, he invites him to preach. But Jonah, looking at Tarshish, sees that that's way better of a preaching gig. So he runs, gets on a ship to try and avoid God. And God's like, nah. So he causes a storm. And essentially, they throw him overboard. He gets swallowed by a large fish. And when he gets his heart in the right place, God's like, all right, you ready now? And he goes to Nineveh, and Nineveh's saved. And I believe that there are some people in here tonight who have been running from God's call. And God in his provision has caused a storm in your life. And I'm not here to try and mess with you tonight. I'm not here to try and say that that pain you're experiencing, God just is punishing you. No, 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 no. But any storm, any difficulty is God's invitation for you to trust him. God has called some of you to great things and you chalk it up to, I don't think so. I'm too young, not ready, got issues, not perfect yet. God is saying to you, I didn't call you to be perfect. I called you to trust me. So tonight, you've become unaware. You've been running from God. I believe that God wants to make you aware of him tonight. So with our heads bowed and our eyes, our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if God is making you aware tonight, if he's knocking at your door, scripture says, I behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who hears my voice and answers, I will come in and meet with them. I'll eat with them. I'll be in their presence. Would you receive the knock and open the door? Tonight, God wants to make you aware of himself, of his love, his forgiveness, his power. If that's you, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray, we're gonna pray up here in a minute, but if that's you, could you lift your hand? That's making you aware, okay? Just don't look around and um, just straight up, just straight up. And in this moment of focus and intention, I want you to just close your eyes. I want you to take your mind off of the other things. What is God highlighting to you? That God's gonna highlight something to you, not in condemnation, not in heaviness, but in an invitation. For some of you, it is a sin issue. For some of you, it is something that you've been going back to. It's a vice, it's a substance, it's something that you're doing. And God's highlighting that to you, not to condemn you, but to invite you into surrendering that. So with your hand lifted, let me pray for you. God, I pray 
that as you're making us aware, you're showing us not only what to surrender, but God, you're getting our eyes fixed on you as you lead us forward. In Jesus' name. Now here's what I wanna do. I wanna pray for those of you who've been living in a way where your loyalty is to the world, even if your worship on Wednesdays is to God. You've been loyal to and in love with the world. The things that you're believing, the pressure that you're feeling, God is revealing to you in this moment, I want your loyalty. I want your focus. I want your, I want your future. I want your plans. They're mine anyways. I want your sexuality. I designed you. Today I was at Restretto's. I haven't told anyone this. I was at Restretto's and my, my heart was grieved, honestly. And I wasn't going to bring this up, but I'm sitting there and I see this older man walking with four high school students. And these four high school students clearly, um, by their appearance, were sending certain signals about where they were at in their life and in their sexuality. And this older man was caressing their backs and their arms, and their neck, smelling their hair, holding their hands as he sat at the table with them. And as I would listen to their conversation, he was counseling them on how to transition sexually and how to encourage their friends who weren't ready to come out about how to do that and be brave. And it was like there was a demonic presence in the place. Because as God would invite them to surrender their life and their sexuality, the enemy would invite them to succumb to it. I remember seeing this and I was pissed. And I believe that there are some who have been led astray, and maybe it's not a person, but it's ideas and ideologies that are counter to the kingdom. But get this, it's not because God's got rules and you're not supposed to break them, but it's because God wants you to flourish and he wants your friends to flourish. So what does the enemy want you to do? He wants you to suffer and he wants your friends to suffer. So he lies, he inverts truth, he flips what love is and what acceptance is and he invites you into this place where you think that you're gonna get what you're looking for. And God is saying, surrender that. Maybe tonight, that syncretism has been you oneness with the world. You've been succumbed and lured away by idols, false ideologies, things that are counter to the kingdom. And tonight, God's in intention and his invitation to you is as you surrender that, that he's going to grab a hold of your heart 
and he's gonna change the trajectory of your life. But first, you must break up with the world. So if you're ready to break up with the world, it might just be an app. It might just be a relationship. It might be the whole of your sexuality. It might be what you watch. It might be the words that you use when nobody else is around. It might be your attitude. It might be your home. It might be your bedroom. It might be the posters on your wall in your bedroom. It might be the pictures in your phone that are hidden. You've become one with the world and God is inviting you to switch loyalties. If that's you, what I want you to do is I'm gonna invite you to come forward and here's what I'd like you to do is just get on your knees and under the mighty hand of God, humble yourself and repent and turn. I'm not gonna mince words. You need to repent. You need to turn. Is it because God's heavy handed and mad? No. It's because God's yoke is easy, his burden is light, and he's inviting you into the only way to life, which means surrendering everything that you know. If that's you, would you come forward? And would you just get on your knees? Would you be bold? Their heads bowed and eyes closed. Don't look around. If that's not you, don't, don't be doing this because you're supposed to. What I want us to do is, anyone who's up here, if you're in the audience, just close your eyes. If you want, you can stretch your hand out, that's fine. But what I want you to do down here, is I actually don't want anyone to pray for you yet. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to hear the voice of God. I believe that God wants to speak to some of you. God has been waiting for a moment where he can have your undivided attention. And he's finally got it. What I feel is that there are some authorities in your life, some of you, your own parents, who they are the ones who have invited into your home and even into your room things that are not of God. And there are things in your home that even as you think right now, how do I even go home and do this? Because my parents don't even do this. They don't even agree. 
I believe that God is even right now downloading to you supernaturally a strategy for how you're going to return home. That he's not leaving you hanging. You're going to need the voice of the Holy Spirit. You're going to need the empowerment that comes from the Spirit, but he's not going to leave you hanging. Here's what I want to do. Would you stand up? Leaders, I'm going to invite you in just a minute to go and just as you see fit, you guys can stay here. Unless you don't want prayer, that's fine. You go back to your seats. But the rest of you, would you stand with me? Sorry, I wasn't clear in my instructions. Here's what I want to do. I want to have the leaders come and as you see fit, would you just lay hands and begin to prophesy over these young people? I believe that God's going to mark some of you tonight in a way that you did not anticipate, but God knew and he's going to leave you changed. And you're going to leave with a new loyalty in Jesus' name.